What's the thing that scares you the most? Confined spaces and uh, blood particles in the air, the dark, that coral thing that's been staring at me since I came in here. Chris, I'm scared to death. Welcome to the Sum of All Fear podcast, the show that examines real-life phobias and the horror movies that prey on them. So pour yourself something strong, Feardos, and let's find out what makes you afraid. All right. I've got Kinklin. Non-traditional style. But it's a Shirley Temple. Oh, I love it. It's a legitimate Shirley Temple in a, in a bottle. They're really good, too. Yeah, I've been sober for two weeks now, more than two weeks. I am so proud of you. You put yourself in a lot of really stressful situations too, uh, that are just ripe for. Yeah, I made know, it through. Relapse. I made it through. I made it through a pool party. I made it through a a a, a friend's a birthday party. Uh, made it a couple times at the bar. So I'm really proud of you. You know, just trying High to fives? give him giving the liver a little break. Good job, baby. You know, it's a good thing. Your liver a little detox. It. Little, little detoxing. I haven't seen you. Um, pressing on your liver uh, in quite a while. Yeah. The, well, it's amazing how that works. <laughs> it's funny. Um, after a bit of one of those uh, life gets in the way breaks, I guess we're back. Fear knows. Uh, we have, we apologize for the, uh, the, I think this is the longest break we've ever had. Yeah. Um, it was probably needed. We just had a lot of stuff going on. There was just crazy, crazy life stuff going on, but uh, I'm Drew. And I'm Chris. Uh, I'm the husband and the horror nerd, and uh, and this is Chris, my wife, and she's the professional mental health therapist. Um, she is a big fan of Dr. Drew's big brain, as well oh, as his man. chiseled abs. <laughs> uh, and uh, and I like to plan my day around watching David Cronenberg movies in chronological order. That's true. So, you know, that's a little bit about us. Both true facts. Um, and I've also heard that we're now being called the Sid and Nancy of podcasting. Now, that's the proudest compliment. Yeah, I, I mean, so just a little tip for you. Lay off the heroin and I might not have to stab you. Okay. So, good deal. Well, that might end poorly. It, well, it did for Sid and Nancy. I know. That's for sure. <laughs> um, we can learn from their mistakes. <laughs> but... Uh, Please follow us on Facebook, guys. Follow us on Twitter. Follow us on Instagram if you're listening. Uh, we would love to talk to you. We would love to get a more of a community going. Um, we don't have a lot of like chitter chatter. We would like to have some chit chat going uh, about the podcast and about um, you know what you guys want to hear, what phobias you want us to cover, all that fun stuff. What movies you want Drew to review? Yeah, movies. Um, and if you like the show, please please go to your podcast apps. Uh, give us a rating. Give us a review. Um, just like our good friend Wayne did back a little while ago. Um, he wrote this on Apple Podcasts. This is an unbelievably creative podcast with playful and passionate hosts, Chris and Drew. Listen in as each week, this couple teaches you about fascinating phobias and discuss horror films that pertain to said topic. Kick back with a glass of your favorite whiskey or tea or Shirley Temple and prepare to learn something new each and every episode. Do yourself a favor and download this delicious ear candy now. Ooh, delicious ear candy. Wonderful review, Wayne. Thank you so, so, so much. It's we appreciate it. That we are so tasty to your earballs. Tasty to the earballs. Um, and about Wayne and, and Lacey, since we haven't been here in a few weeks, it seems like it was a long time ago, but we had that Sinister Creature Con down in Sacramento that we were supposed to go to. And last minute, we weren't able to make it. Um, but Wayne and Lacey, are for our good friends, went down. Uh, and on their way home, they 
they called us and said, Hey, can we swing by, you know, your house on the way back? And we said, sure. And they brought us a signed poster, Ooh. uh, signed poster from Joe Bob Briggs. It's the baddest ass poster ever. It's so cool. Um, and it was signed to, uh, the sum of all fear podcast. So really, really, really sweet, uh, thing that they did. And we appreciate it guys. Um, we'll definitely, we need to post a picture of that up on our, our, uh, social media too. Yes, we do. And I'm very grateful that they stopped by that night because well, they then, also, yeah, so then, so then, yeah, you want to finish that story? So they, so also, then we went out in the back and had a few drinks. Yeah. They also, uh, came back and we were talking about their experience at the horror con and, um, suddenly, in the far part of our backyard, uh, a fire broke loose. Yeah, just on the other side of our fence, there's like a ravine and like a little creek area. And all of a sudden we heard crackling, crackling sound and we smelled a little smoke and we're like, uh, that doesn't seem right. And I popped up and I said, oh my God, it's a fire. Drew called 911. Um, the firemen were there within two minutes. Uh, everybody said that I ran around like Chicken Little and the sky is falling. But no, it was so great. But you were no, she, she sprang. No, she sprang into action. It was great. And I and we immediately got the hose out, started spraying down the backyard. And we, I think some of you might remember we we talked about this in our Fear of Fire episode. Yes. That in the back of our house a while back, like then this one was was probably another extra couple hundred yards uh, away eight, from our eight house. To ten houses down. Yeah, from the, the old the, the fire that we talked about in that episode. This one was directly behind. Yeah, our house. this was within a hundred feet. Oh yeah. It was right. We freaking could see there. flames. And, um, within two minutes, the fire department was there. Yep. Um, Lacey and I had gone to our neighbors, um, in different directions and knocked on doors, making sure that they knew what was going on and that they were aware. Um, I hopped like a five foot fence. And if most of you are, are aware, I'm like five, four. Um, so I like hopped <laughs> a five foot fence, um, to get to my neighbor's yard instead of running all the way around and knocked on her door. And when she answered the door, she was like panicked, like, oh, hey, it's you. And I was like, hi, I am so sorry to bother you, uh, but there's a giant fire right outside our backyard. And she was like, oh my gosh, I was giving my baby um, a bath. I didn't even know. Thank you. That was nuts. Was the, the first fireman on the scene was a was a guy I used to coach baseball with too. So and knew we, him right away. And then and we led the firemen through. They, our they side came yard. through our yard. They came through our yard through the back fence and to, to to fight the fire. And they were they were around for about two hours. They they spent they they got it out very quickly, which and was awesome. Thank you, thank ever. you, first responders. They were like, thank you so much for letting us use your yard. I'm like, are you fucking kidding me right now? <laughs> You're saving everyone here. No, use it. Use whatever you want do whatever you need <laughs> i think i think the term was was uh was was you can have whatever you want <laughs> shut up and it was and i think that was coupled with a little bit of tingling in your loins as the firefighters were running through that the backyard was adrenaline i can tell you sure so being a brain brain studier uh, <laughs> oh, that was it was great uh, so everything was very, they were awesome. Though. They, they got it out so fast and, and, you know, first responders, man, those guys are awesome. Firefighters. They're amazing. They it's amazing how quick it. they work. They came at it from three different directions. They went, um, across the ravine and up a little, uh, hill is an apartment complex and they fought it from that direction. They stayed for like three hours afterwards, making sure there was nothing smoldering. Yeah, it was nuts. Um, gosh, God bless first responders. Absolutely. Absolutely. Those Holy guys were, smokes. those guys were literally, were, were pretty amazing. And, and we, uh, that was literally my nightmare that we talked about in the fire episode. Yeah. 
Yeah, it was. And, 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 and we had news crews in our backyard. Oh, I got, got inter- I got interviewed on the news, on the local news. Yeah. Um, we just let the news crews come through the backyard. The fire trucks were right in front of the house and it was crazy. It was a, it was a, it was a crazy experience, so, but, but yeah. yeah, so Wayne and Lacey, you know, they helped save the neighborhood. Uh, so thanks Wayne and Lacey. Yeah, that was, that was a, that was a, that was a much more interesting <laughs> afternoon than they expected. Just having a couple of drinks to, and talk about, uh, the sinister creature con. So yeah, right. it was a lot of, a uh, lot of excitement. I had a little bit of of um, acute stress reaction in the days following, uh, and our children, even who weren't here, um, when we told them the story, they started reporting some acute stress about not wanting to leave the house because they wanted to make sure there wasn't a fire. So we all had to kind of process through that. Yeah, it was it was close. I mean, we live with that danger here all the time in Reno, so it was it was pretty nuts, pretty nuts for sure. Um, our new friend Kaylee, the one who who uh, oh, yes. who who posted up on Castbox, yeah, um, not to move away from our fire story, but um, she uh, we gave her that shout out, and she responded on Castbox. I noticed, and she said, "Oh my gosh, I wasn't expecting a shout out." She lives in Avery County, North Carolina, which is some freaking beautiful country. Um, it's in the Cherokee National Forest, not too far from like Asheville. Uh, North Carolina oh, and Johnson city, Tennessee. And, um, I've been up in that area a few times. It's an amazing place. Um, so yeah, thanks again for listening, Kaylee. And we're so yeah. glad that you're still listening and, and, uh, we appreciated your response. And that we Shout got to, out to North Carolina. We got to, yeah, we finally, finally had a beardo who Yay! actually gave us where she was from and told us, you know, a little bit about herself and all that. So we appreciate that guys. We would love uh, to see more of those kind of comments. Um, we want to get to know anybody who's listening and we know there's some of you out there. There's lots of, get lots of people listening. So, um, getting to know we, uh, we also, what else did we do? We, we, uh, did baseball like All again. So, surprise. so our son, hey. we thought summer was going to kick into high gear and then I got laid off from my company. My company went under. So by the way, if you're, uh, my company went out of business. And so if anyone's looking for a marketing guy or a content writer with like 15 years of experience, just let me know. I'm in the job hunt, uh, period of time, which is always fun. Um, but then our oldest son got into, uh, made his all-star team in baseball, uh, last minute. Um, he was like the first alternate. So he got pulled, pulled up onto the team. And so we were back doing baseball every night for two weeks, 80 miles round trip. Um, <laughs> going down back to Carson city from Reno. Yeah. So, so that sucked up a bunch of times. That was one of the reasons why we, we, we got kind of, uh, well, that was two of the reasons, the two of the reasons, the laying of off. And then also <laughs> the increasing of baseball. Yeah. You would think being laid off, I would have more time, but, uh, you know, but it also puts you but into it, a deep, dark but depression. But it turns out, you get sucked down into depression. 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 I've been can doing you, it's been pretty much one day a week. I have can one you say depression one, like a home star runner character. Depression. <laughs> I was like, it's like the depression, man. I get like the total crazy depression. It's like the worst. It's like I'm way down. It's like I'm down and then I can't get up. Um <laughs> So, um, but, um, we did, we did keep horror movie night going. So we were doing horror movie night every week on Sundays and we were having, we've had a blast. Uh, we've had a really good time. We've met some really fun people. We've met some new friends, um, new who, friends. who've also been listening to the podcast, which is really cool. And, uh, we've watched some cool movies. We did phantasm. We did, uh, the omen we did. We just did. They live on this Sunday. Um, fun. but we are not going to be doing it at taste Chicago anymore. We're going to find, we're, go- we're finding a new venue, um, soon. Um, 
just because we just, we just, it just wasn't, I don't think it was quite the right place for it. And well, it's growing too. And we need a little bit more. Yeah. Work. Yeah. And we're definitely going to be uh, trying to round up more, you know, horror fans again to get together. Probably not this next coming week, but we'll, uh, we'll, we'll keep you guys, Stay we'll keep tuned. you guys up to date on the social media and stuff. If you're here in Reno, um, we, we still want to get together and do this horror movie night thing. So it was, it's been really fun. Um, I've been really enjoying it. So stay tuned for that. Um, we went and saw a couple movies. We went to, we went and saw Child's Play at the drive-in, mm-hmm. which was fun. Um, I had a good time. It's not a remake, people. Stop I had a good time. saying that it's a remake. It's, it's not, definitely a not a remake. remake. Yeah. It's a completely different story that is is a parallel universe, basically. So just... Knock that shit off. It is so annoying. Yeah, it's it's not a remake. Like they definitely they definitely use child's play as the as the catalyst yeah. to, get, to get asses in seats at the yep. at the movie theater. But beyond that, it was a totally different script. No serial killer, it's a no different story entirely. Totally different story entirely. And it was enjoyable. I liked it. I thought it was fun. Um it, it was, definitely wasn't it a child's moments, play movie. Yeah. It wasn't a child's play movie. Like other than it being a doll, a, you know, a killer doll, it was all AI and all very um, you know tech focused kind of what if, what if the dolls become sentient? It was very black mirror. Yeah, totally, totally. But it was fun. I enjoyed it. Um, and then we're going to see midsummer tonight. Um, as soon as we're done with our podcast here, we're going to go see, what did you drag me into? Oh, it's going to be so good. I'm so excited. It's opening night for it. Ari Aster's new movie. We loved hereditary. Um, what? I can't, you loved hereditary. I love it. It was so good. It terrified me. So it did its job and never again. There's been a lot of hype around this movie, and apparently, it's it's supposed to be genre a genre defining, completely new thing that's never All been I done. All I know is it's heavy AF. Uh, we'll see, we'll see. I didn't know that until you read the spoilers. So I always read the spoilers because <laughs> going into a movie like this, you don't know literally what the fuck you're watching, and I like to go in kind of knowing what I'm watching so that I can actually pick up on the story and be like, oh, it's because it was a weird ass dream, and he was in separate dimensions. Then <sighs> watch the movie, and you'll get that when you watch it it's not always communicated effectively. but then you have to watch it a second time then the second time around you get all those things and it makes it so much more fun to watch it the second time no see i have more effectively utilized my time which <laughs> equals money uh by reading the spoilers first then going into it and actually watching it with that deep don't knowledge. like it i don't like it it's like watching thug notes uh reviews of literature well, that's I, like your new favorite thing. Huh? I love thug notes. Check it out. People thug notes all day long. Is that on the YouTube? It's on the YouTubes. It's on the Facebooks. Just go check him out. Like him, watch everything, indulge. It's smart. It's witty. It's great. But he, he plays on these books and some of them I've never read. And now some of them I want to read because I read and I, I kind of know the spoilers and I want to see how the fuck that happens. So it's li- it's literature based, right? Where he yes. goes through and, and kind of gives it's, synopsis. 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 You know, Hamlet. Uh, Midsummer Night's Dream was one. Um, what are some of the other ones? Uh, Fahrenheit. Handmaid's, four, Handmaid's Tale was the only one that I saw. Fahrenheit 451. Handmaid's Tale. I mean, a- anything that you can think of, he's, he's going to get after it. So... Get on Thug Notes while you still can. <laughs> All right. Well, that's our our quick synopsis of our lives up to this point in time. What is it? July second, two thousand nineteen. Let's play. Uh, let's play a phobia based trivia game. What do you ooh, think? Oh, oh, yeah. Let's. Are do you it. ready? Yeah. I was All right. Born ready. It's time for the world's greatest phobia based trivia game. Fear? You 
say it now. What the fear? There you go. Okay, you have to say it like that. All right, it's time. Oh, man. It's time for What the Fear. I'm super rusty. What the Fear. Ah, I'm a little scared here. <laughs> think, mm, biting nails. I think you'll be all right. Okay. I think you'll survive. You think so? I mean, Let's see. there really is no points. It's like, it's like, whose line is it anyway? There's not really anything that you're going to get. That's true. I points mean, don't really matter. I might get you some sweet, sweet loving. Ooh. You know, I can always. A little, little extra if you get them right. Hey, hey, hey. You heard it here, folks. <laughs> All right, so let's uh, let's let's uh, dive in. What do you think? Yeah, let's do it. All right, your first fear, your first phobia, is latrophobia. Latrophobia. L a t r o phobia. And what's my hint? Your hint is if you had this phobia. Running into Bill Cosby, Neil Patrick Harris, or even Zach Braff might be enough to cause a phobic reaction. If you had this phobia, running into Bill Cosby, Neil Patrick, I mean, running into Bill Cosby might give you phobia anyway. <laughs> Number of other phobias, but uh, Bill Cosby, Neil Patrick Harris, or even Zach Braff might be enough to cause you a phobic reaction. Uh, you look you puzzled. Look puzzled. Well, because I'm trying to figure out what those three have in common. Why do you think I chose them? I know. You're evil. Evil man. Um, um, fear of sitcom stars. Ooh, very close. Very close. Take that a little bit further. Okay. Does it have to do with a decade? No. No. No, no not the decade. Okay. No, but it does have to do with their sitcoms. Oh my gosh. Fear it's right there for the taking. Of doctors in Yes. Sitcoms? Fear of doctors. Just fear of doctors. Oh, damn. Wow. I was just way off. fear of doctors. Damn. No, not doctors and sitcoms, but just, just fear of doctors. Okay. That's way off. Yeah. So Bill Cosby, of course, Dr. Dr. Heathcliff Huxtable. Uh, Neil Patrick Herricks was Doogie Howser, MD. And Zach Braff was uh, Dr. Dorian? Yes. Shane Dorian? John Dorian. John Dorian. Wait, is that his name? Yeah. So, good job. Dang it. Well done. I should have. Ah. Not bad. Do you, why is the root latro? Latrophobia. You know, I don't know. It, I didn't look up the root. Oh, okay. I was just interested um, that is interesting. in what I don't that know. means. So that, We'll have to find that out. Hot damn. You ready for your second one? Yeah. Your second phobia of the day is venestrophobia. Venestrophobia. V-E-N-U-S-T-R-A. Phobia. Venestrophobia. Uh, what's my hint? Your hint is someone with this phobia would have a very difficult time being a Sports Illustrated swimsuit issue photographer. <laughs> so someone with this, this phobia would have a very difficult time being. <laughs> I mean, I might have a difficult time being a swimsuit issue photographer as well, but you know, for different reasons. For other reasons. How am I supposed to ascertain what reason? Be a lot of tucking under the waistband, if you know what I mean. Hey, yo. You boys, you boys know what I mean. Fear of women? Mm, close. That's that's actually part, that's, that's, uh, that's, that's part of it. Fear of? Specific kind of women. Beautiful women? Beautiful women. Gorgeous Fear of women. beautiful women. You could have said. I have. If I had venestrophobia, I wouldn't even be able to sit here and do this podcast with oh, you. Oh, now you're pandering. Pander, pander, pitter, pander. I only speak the truth. 
Pitter pander, take a gander, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> two for two. Two? No, I do not count the first one. The first one I said fear of sick. You got the doctors first. eventually. I get, I don't get multiples. No. <laughs> All right. My three strikes, you're out. It's one. Third and final, what the fear phobia for today is Melanophobia. Melanophobia. And no, I don't think this has anything to do with uh with uh Trump's with the with the fear first lady with, with the first lady. Fear of first lady Melania. M E L M E L A N O phobia. Melanophobia. Yeah, yeah, I think she might be a robot. Yeah. I mean, we all saw um, Austin Powers. You yeah. Know, with the robots are always beautiful and yeah. illustrious. Yeah. yeah. She's very, she's, she's very, robot. she's very robotic. Um, but it's not fear of robotic. It is not. Audience. Would you like your hint? Sure. Uh, Melanophobia. These folks would definitely not have dressed like goths in high school. These folks would definitely not have dressed like goths in high school. What do goths? And there's nothing wrong with dressing like a goth not in high school either. That's that's perfectly. But acceptable. they would dress like like goths now. No, no, they would not. They would not ever dress like a goth. I just threw in high school because we always remember our little goth cliques from high school. Mm, fear of the color black. Damn it, you're good. Did you see these? No, <laughs> no, I'm pretty. I'm, well done. Thank you. No. Nailed it. Well, no, because I was thinking uh, melanin, which is the stuff that gives your skin color. That's right. And then melanoma is the cancer. So that had to be a root of it. Um, it had to do with, um, you know, something involving being on the body. What's switching from me being the host of, of, of what the fear to, to from being the, the contestant, the receiver, I have learned that you are, not that I didn't already know this, that you're much smarter than I am. <laughs> I don't know if it's that. Uh, we'd have to do a little research on whether it's that or whether it's the the quality of the hints or the obscurity of my references. I don't know. There's a lot of <laughs> factors at play. We can't. There are a lot of factors. We can't statistically. Speak I'm that. I'm I'm proud to say that you just nailed that though. Thank well you. Done. Well done. Uh, you have now won multiple sexual favors. <laughs> Shit. Which leads us I to even. I couldn't even. Bring you back to my train of thought. I trained off on my train of thought on where I got to the fear of black, the color black. And so, yeah, that's how smart I am. No, you did a great I job. I can't even those. train back on my own train you of put, thought. You put that together very, very <laughs> well. Well, uh, speaking of sexual favors. Yes. Um, we are going to yes. be diving into uh, into sex. Let's talk about sex, sex baby. baby. Let's, Let's talk, talk about, about you and me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's what we're going into. Fear of sex. Fear of sex. Um, do you want to give your quick disclaimer about trigger warnings? So <laughs> we, we were talking about this, and, and we had a we had a um, we had somebody that 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 messaged just a while back when we did the fear of men episode because we dive into some heavy topics and we dive into topics that definitely relate to people's um, uh, abuse experiences and PTSD and you know all of that kind of stuff. Um, and they said, you know, oh man, maybe, the only thing I would say is, you know, maybe during the fear of men episode, you maybe have, should have given a trigger warning. And Chris has a perspective on that from a clinical perspective, from her, from from the mental health side of things. Um, explain to me and, and to our audience what it is about trigger warnings that you you don't necessarily agree with. Well, it's not that I agree or disagree. It's that you know, clinically and personally speaking, I believe that. Um, that we don't run from our fears uh, here, you know, we make friends with our fears. 
And we make friends with our pain and we bring dignity to it through the narrative and through experiencing the emotions that we experience um, by processing the trauma actively and being in our emotions in a safe place. So you can't be, in other words, you, you can't hide from the things that are going to trigger you because, they're because they are everywhere. They're, they're around you. Gonna they're constantly going to be there. So, so learning the better coping mechanism isn't trying to avoid those things. It's, it's to, ex, to, to just experience them and figure out ways to, to own those well, experiences. So I wouldn't say, um, I wouldn't say the best. I would say, Studies have shown that trigger warnings just aren't effective uh, in curbing that traumatic reaction. If you're going to have a traumatic reaction, it doesn't matter if I give you a warning about what I'm going to say or not. Um, that trauma is deeply embedded, and so that's going to get activated regardless of how much we try to avoid that activation. Um, and so it's my belief that here in a really safe place, um, talking about these things and listening to these things, um, that hopefully if you are experiencing a traumatic reaction, that you reach out to um, a professional or a trusted friend near you and you really experience these emotions and bring a narrative to them, bring a story to them because acknowledging the pain and experiencing the pain is the only way that we heal from that pain. And so I'm not going to give a trigger warning because I mean, we just uh, did give not, a trigger warning, well, yeah. but <laughs> trigger warning, not, not trigger warning, but, but it's, it's shown to not be effective. Um, and so, you know, what I will say is this is a safe space to process it. If you need to process, if you want to reach out to us and let us know about your experience in listening to things that may be um, reactivating some trauma and how you used, um, you know, various coping skills to kind of manage through those emotions, um, that would be great. I will make a disclaimer if you are personally currently experiencing sexual trauma, abuse, or trafficking of any kind, uh, please immediately seek help. There are people that want to help you. There are people that can keep you safe regardless of how unsafe you feel now. Um, and that is something I want to ensure to you is that there, there are people out there that will help you get to a safe spot. Um, please reach out to those various institutions or to us. And I would be happy to guide you to the right places. Yeah. And, and as always, this isn't a substitute obviously for, right. for any sort of mental, and, and no. if you've listened long enough, you know that that's the case. Um, but we are, you know, this is an this entertainment is, podcast. But this is a super deep subject and this Absolutely. is a super incredibly intimate fear. Um, and so it's really important that folks that may be experiencing that hear that it's okay to reach out for help. Sounds good. Well, with that, we're going to talk about uh, our phobia for today, which is genophobia, also known as coitophobia or erotophobia, uh, the fear of sex. Okay, so the fear of sex. You know, it was interesting this week. Uh, as I was telling people over the last couple of weeks, as we've been researching this one and telling people that we were going to be doing this episode immediately. And I think people just don't think through it enough, but immediately people are like, how in the hell are people afraid of sex? Like that's I, I, like a lot of people, that was their first reaction. They were like, man, that really sucks. And I'm sure it does suck. Just like all phobias suck and people have them, but people didn't have like, didn't process it right away. Like, like, like how, that why happened? would, why would they would be afraid of sex? Um, so genophobia is our is our 
phobia for today. Uh, like I said, also known as coitophobia or erotophobia, uh, comes from the Greek word genos, uh, which means offspring. Ooh, okay. I didn't know um, that was that was it. So, you know, we're going to dive into this, but a lot of these 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 this phobia has roots in abuse. It has roots in maybe just really bad experiences, intimacy uh, issues, Lots rejection, shame, shame a lot of shame based uh, stuff that kind of kicks this into high gear. So, why don't you give us give us the rundown on kind of the the roots of of genophobia and kind of where this comes from and how this plays out in people's in people's lives. Sure. Um, so this can be, not this can be, this is an intensely personal feel, fear, like I said earlier. Um, and it's that fear or anxiety about being emotionally close or sexually intimate with someone, right? The origin can be um, any, like you said, anything from a bad experience, a shame-based uh, belief about yourself um, and your body or your self-worth, um, lots and lots and lots of trauma seen in um, genetic very extensive and very, oh, very secondarily traumatizing um, things that have occurred for folks to really um, get to the point where they are so against sex and anything involving sex that they just completely repel against it. And this goes beyond just, just the physical act of intercourse. This can right. go to any sort of, of intimacy or any sort any of, any sort of intimacy of or sexual, vulnerability. sexual yeah, uh, interactions um, at all. Absolutely. Um, and what I will say is it's roots in sexual abuse or in um, assault or in just any shame-based experience. Um, it's the penetrating of boundaries, either physically or psychologically, that violate our trust, our inherent trust of other human beings that they're going to not violate this. Um, and also it violates our right to self-determination or in making a decision about this and how I feel about it and, you know, having control. So all of those things combined really um, can leave us with a, an incredibly negative connotation regarding sex that is so deeply embedded inside of us um, that some folks never truly resolve all of it. Um, the trauma is just so deep and expansive beyond psychologically, but also physically, um, physically expansive. That's going to fall off <laughs> when the wind blows. <laughs> Sorry. He's trying to fix a, a curtain. The wind was blowing over my microphone. <laughs> Sorry. Um, I got this. Don't worry. So I do want to give some differential diagnosis. So if, if you, well, no, 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 sorry, not to interrupt, but sorry. to go back to kind of what you were saying, I was thinking about this, but, um, uh, there are people who, so this can be, this could, can lead to a complete rejection of sex, mm -hmm. but it could also go the other way where people have just really unhealthy views of sex too. And they, or they, they manifest it in kind of the opposite unhealthy as well. Right? Or rigid, um, views. Now that wouldn't necessarily Not be necessarily rigid, but I mean like more, even, even, uh, people who are, who are, uh, 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 what's the word? Nymphomaniacs and things like that who, who just who go the other well, way. Well, that's right? a philia. Well, we can philias, always touch yeah. on the philiacs later because we've all heard of the philiacs. You know, we well, know. Well, and philia is always, I guess in all these phobias, there's always a, 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 a philia that's associated yeah, with For it. every dark, there is a light, right? Um, and so, you know, for each one of these, there's its counterpart of equal 
but opposite intensity. Um, and so, yeah, there's filiacs out there and we're all super aware of the filiacs, but we tend to really uh, be very close minded when it comes to someone who um, is fearful of sex. We don't. Well, yeah, they're a prude. It. They're a, they're whatever that, you know, people get labeled, well, you know, and then we're, then we're talking the me too movement, you know, people actually coming out and speaking out about it. And then, you know, people's reactions to speaking out about it, but then also folks who maybe came, came to that conclusion for different reasons and it just kind of muddles up everything. And so everybody, the, the ultimate thing that everybody's trying to say is please listen. I don't feel safe. Right. You know, please listen. Someone please listen. I don't feel safe. What do we do? You know, and how that reaction comes about is varied. Um, but at the root of it, that's what is going on here is, is people really want to be heard um, and to feel safe in their own skin and to feel like they have the right to self-determination. Um, so whether it be verbal sexual assault or physical sexual assault or rape or secondary traumatization, um, knowing someone who was raped severely, um, all of that can lead to a very intense reaction negatively regarding sex and the body's reaction positively to sex can cause a lot of what we call dissonance. You know, the body doesn't match up with what the brain is telling me, but the body won't shut off. So the brain must be wrong. And there's this, this kind of internal war between the mind and the body at the same time. So it's intensely complex. And I'm sure it also, uh, there's also a, a group of people who, you know, grew up, um, being shamed about their looks or being shamed about sure. their body or shamed about, you know, maybe they're overweight or they're, uh, or maybe have a deformity or I'm sure there's or so they have many body things. dysmorphia, right. you know, or where, they don't see themselves properly. Right. And, and within this fear, there are kind of sub fears that have, have more to do with that specifically. Um, if we can narrow it down to that right. specific, they can all break, you know, there is down. a, there's a separate branch of this phobia that, um, deals with fears of the vagina and fears of, um, diseases involved with sex, right? So STDs, and, STDs, things STIs, like that. Is what they call um, them. And then also too, we see another kind of tree branch from this: um, the fear of sexual dysfunction, um, not necessarily of the sexual act, but of something going wrong and you not being able to perform the sexual act to to your adequate. Um, sure, perception. and men deal with that. I mean, obviously, especially with 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 erectile dysfunction and with you know with with. Uh, premature ejaculation or whatever it might be, like all those things. And the mental side of, of sex is, you know, anybody who's had sex right. or hasn't had sex knows that it's a, it's a, it's, it's, it's definitely so a mental game. And so body. And if they're not connected or if, if one is kind of moving diametrically in the opposite direction, um, then there's going to be some conflict and there's going to have be that dissonance. Um, and that makes sex tense and not pleasurable when you have that dissonance between mind and body. So it's easy to understand how folks that do have, thank you, um, Viagra, <laughs> that do have um, ED or do have um, other sexual issues. Like uh, I was reading up on something called vaginismus, which is the uh, involuntary clenching of the vagina so much so that penetration is painful. Hmm. Um, and so sex becoming painful 
is kind of a different branch from the fear of sex. It does have a fear involving sex, but there's a pain involved with it. Sure. So let's explore more. That may be more of a medical diagnosis as opposed to a psychological or a, a phobic diagnosis. But I could see how it would be. It could. It, it would transfer. I'm sure it would transfer over to to the the mental side as well. And and I know there's there's also a a, a deal where, where when when men ejaculate they they it's it's painful. Right. Um, and there's all kinds of medical things I think that can go into that. And and then there's there's just the also the emotional side, which is you know people who are just being rejected or who have been alienated um, by people for so long or have never been able to find a partner or never been able to you know maybe they have social problems and things like that as well. Or they have that trauma that I spoke of, you know, all of those things, there's one thing in common. And that is that excitement and fear feel very similar in the body. And when excitement or fear is mixed with shame, it can turn those negative in on, on a hair, you know, um, for instance, um, fear and, arousal can be manipulated. Think about the BDSM world, right? A little bit of fear, a little bit of arousal, you know that you have control. It's kind of a self-determination thing. So there's some, some feelings of control in that. Um, but the misattribution of arousal that's caused by some, by trauma, um, really is because of adrenaline. So what I'm trying to say is when someone experiences sexual trauma at an early age and they experience arousal along with the um, excitement, or that is excitement, excitement is arousal. Um, when they experience the arousal along with the fear, that becomes indistinguishable to us. And it's hard to break that apart once it has kind of been melded in our minds. Um and this misattribution of arousal, where arousal does does no longer mean excitement, it means fear, um, is deeply ingrained. And well, and, and it and it can be. I mean, I'm correct me if I'm wrong, but I think people who maybe maybe because they enjoy pain and then that arouses them, or 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 something about shame or something about fear arouses them, that may in fact, be a healthy way to cope with it, right? I mean, they have figured out a way to to compartmentalize this channel, into something, to, to channel, channel it into something that has become arousal. Yeah. If they if they handle it properly. I'm sure there's ways that are that are dysfunctional, but but certainly and, and certainly not everybody that's into BDSM has been abused no. or not everybody that's into whatever but fetish that, or but whatever same, it is. But the same adrenaline is at play. It's that misattribution of arousal. I'm a little bit afraid, but I'm also really turned on. And so now it's really hot because there's that extra adrenaline in there. Uh, it's the right. same thing at play with a roller coaster. It's the adrenaline that tells us whether it's excitement or fear. Right. But but we know cognitively with the higher um, higher areas of the cortex, we know that we're safe. So we attribute it to excitement. And so that becomes exciting instead of fearful. But there, the brain does not know the difference between excitement and fear until the frontal cortex so you're, assigns it. You're 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 afraid of your father growing up. Maybe he maybe he maybe he spanked you. Maybe he was just a a, a strong personality. Maybe he didn't totally abuse you, but was very stern. Whatever you can turn that that sometimes is turned into a fetish later on, or something that's sexually arousing later on because of the way that it caused fear when you were young, but causes excitement as you're older. Well, it doesn't even necessarily cause fear or excitement. It just, it's the same arousal and it's how we attribute the arousal. So when we're older, we can 
um, do things that maybe move towards uh, re-attribution of the arousal from fear to excitement, um, you know, through various means like say BDSM. Um, but what we do know for sure is that people tend to arrange their relationship and their sex lives uh, in an attempt to avoid dealing with these kind of underlying fearful feelings at first, right? So think about, um, like you said, the the gal who um, is ha- had been beaten and, um, you know, she's, she maybe doesn't process it yet and maybe later she goes on to BS- BDSM, but what happens in between? What do those relationships look like? What's kind of the pattern that she's trying to relive? Because our pain begs to be seen and acknowledged and um, known and felt. And that's very scary because pain is not a fun emotion to feel and fear is not a fun emotion to feel. But if we can... But if we can control it, we can redirect it in such a way that um, we can control something um, that maybe didn't feel as powerful before that can help us decrease that emotional response of fear and kind of reattribute it somewhere else. And so that's, that's a big part of what therapy does um, in general, uh, kind of working through those feelings. That's why it's important to kind of untie the, the knot of emotions that we get in um, with a therapist in a safe place, because that is a safe place to process those things and to say out loud things that you maybe kept hidden for a very long time that are very shameful and for someone to be able to hold them um, in such a way that is not degrading to you is very powerful. So tell me about incels. <laughs> okay. So, I mean, she's I laughing at you incels. I can't No, I'm not. <laughs> I mean, you laughed. <laughs> no, I'm not. Oh my gosh. I have so much information on, uh, by the way, last podcast on the left did a great, uh, series on incels that, that I, found very interesting because I didn't even know anything about these guys. I have so much information on paraphilias too. I forgot I had taken like two pages of notes on that. But first, let's talk about um, asexuality versus the fear of sex versus um, involuntary celibates or incels. Right. So we're going to do a little Those are all related and yet Mm. distinct. We're going to do a differential diagnosis because these are often uh, misattributed um, to each other. And I want everybody to be very clear about them. So asexuality is a sexual orientation. Um, just like any other sexual orientation, it exists in a range. Some people enjoy, um, the act of sex, but have really no connection or no desire for sex. So they don't really think about it. They don't, you know, it doesn't, they don't match. It's not part of their life. No, but when they have it, they're like, yeah, this is cool. Um, some people, uh, have a lack of attraction altogether and a lack of drive. Um, it can be medically related. It can be, um, intentional. It can be biological. It can be trauma related. I mean, it, it occurs in such a range, but it's an orientation towards how you perceive sex and, and your personal sexual orientation is asexual in that sense. Now, the fear of sex is a response to right? It's a response to the act of having sex. Um, it's a biologically based response, but it of course exists. Um, well, can it happen with people who have not ever experienced it? Yeah, it can, but it, and that's that secondary learned traumatization, um, as well. So you can, again, the fear of sex occurs on a range, just like sexuality occurs on a range. You can have the fear of sex where it's the fear of, um, anything sexually 
related, just even discussing sex um, all the way, you know, to the opposite side of that spectrum. Um, but it's really a reaction to a response to the idea of sex um, that we're talking about there. So there may be desire, there may be attraction, they may have biological response, but that response is inherently anxiety provoking. Um, and so that begs to be further explored and kind of uncovered and um, in a safe manner, of course. And so now we're going to move on to the involuntary celibates, or I'll call them the incels, right? These incels, uh, this is a voluntary behavior, right? They call themselves involuntary celibates, but they've made a choice to call themselves incels. So this is a voluntary behavioral reaction um, to um, a lack of willing partners uh, that want to engage in sex despite them desiring lots of sex. Um <laughs> and they blame the and they blame it's everybody very, around them. It's very narcissistic and in its roots, very narcissistic, um, very entitled, misogynistic, um, has a huge, a huge um root in resentment mm -hmm. towards the opposite sex. Um well, and men who are who are attractive or men that get lots of women. Um, so that's a lot of resentment against right. them as well. They blame biology and um, biological determinism for their lack of willing partners. Well, and culture. Well, and they this is they they play off of this 80-20 rule. And this is why I say this is a voluntary behavior versus a response to anxiety versus a sexual orientation. Well, couldn't it couldn't it be a response to I mean, so in a way, isn't this kind of like choosing to be a really hardcore uh Dom sub relationship or somebody who's got a very unhealthy view of, of, of a certain fetish or something like that. Couldn't it be that this is just their response is to join this group because they feel like they belong. They feel like it's accepting of them as they're uh, in, in whatever state that they're in as a result of the rejection or their, their shame or whatever. Well, yeah, we all beg, like we all really want to be a part of the culture. Right. And these specific members of this culture tend to be very narcissistic. And yeah. So they're assholes. Get a bunch they're total fucking douchebags. You get a bunch of narcissists let's not, together. Let's not mince words here. These guys are a bunch of tools. You get a bunch of narcissists together that feel very entitled um, to what they deserve and so I wouldn't say it's a response to, I would say that they, it's a choice. They feel that this is their inherent right and that they are being somehow shafted. Ha ha uh, sex joke. Um, with all of this, um, one of the, the proponents that they speak often of is the 80, 20 rule, um, where 80% of women desire the top 20% of men only, which doesn't leave a very big choosing for these guys. Um, these involuntary celibates, because like they say, it's involuntary. They really want to, but they, but they can't, but they're not, they they're really not allowed to by to, culture but, and their but situation. No woman in their right mind wants to have sex with a narcissistic misogynist who feels entitled to, to sexual favors. So I feel like you're digging your own grave, you're making your own bed. Now you're sleeping in it, but that's my personal feeling, not my clinical perspective. By yourself. You're sleeping in it by yourself. Right. So that's, nobody touch your that's kind of that versus, right? So we have very three very distinct things. You know, I can be asexual and not have a fear of sex. I can be asexual and not be an incel. You know, I can be, um, I can have an, a really intense fear of sex and not be an incel because I'm still desiring sex and I still maybe have some sexual partners and I've tried, but I'm, I'm experiencing a lot of anxiety during it. 
Um, a lot of folks who do have sexual trauma have that and they work through things with therapy, with their partners. Um, well, now that's PTSD, right? I mean, somebody touches it's a traumatic you, somebody, you know, there's all those traumatic reactions that you have to, yeah, and that's, to those things. That's again on that range of, you know, fear of sex. There's, there's traumatic reactions and the phobia is like the, the biggest, the most intense traumatic reaction that really impacts your life on a day-to-day basis, um, in a negative manner. And so, you know, I always recommend folks seek out that therapy, go get some um, assisted help with someone that knows what they're talking about. Not a bad therapist. Those exist too. Mm-hmm. Um, but Chris isn't one of them. She's a good therapist. <laughs> well, I'm, yeah, no, let's, that's subjective. Um, but She's a good therapist. But back to the paraphilia, um, how much time do we have? So explain paraphilia. We've got about, uh, let's, uh, five, six minutes left. Okay. We've um, got so, about eight, but let's say five or six. So there's a big, um, big, huge um, book called Sex at Dawn. Um, and Dr. Alex K was on Armchair Expert. Well, can you define paraphilia for me? Um, a paraphilia um, is someone who's addicted to, not addicted, someone is a, um, excuse me, where is it? Paraphilia is a strong desire or affiliation towards a specific thing uh, sexually, right? So when we talk about, um, let's say, sex addiction versus paraphilia, sex addiction is um, a profound lack of compassion. There's a profound lack of compassion in that statement because it's not the behavior that's addicting. It's the neurochemical dump and the adaptation of the brain in the sex addict, Um and the nervous system drives that, you know, repeats that behavior that, that produces that addictive behavior. Um, whereas a paraphiliac, um, can be addicted to those behaviors. So you don't necessarily, you aren't necessarily a paraphiliac if you're, if you have sex addiction, but you can have a sex addiction if you're a paraphiliac. I'm still confused. I know. Right. Um, so what's it? So, so give me an example. What's a paraphiliac look like? Um, as opposed to in a sex Someone, addict. So a sex addict is somebody who goes out and just finds sex anywhere, anytime, any place, um, has a compulsion to go out and, and, yes. and, and do it at, a at all times. compulsion is obsessed with it. it. It interferes with their everyday a lives. paraphiliac. Um, is someone who found something sexually enjoyable. So, 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 for instance, so like, so like, say, a, like, a, like a baby. Oh, a furry. Or I was going to say like a the furries. people who are obsessed with dressing up like a baby. Yeah. Yeah. Those are paraphiliacs. And those are things that, people enjoy, right? So a paraphiliac isn't necessarily a sex addict, but a sex addict can be right. a pure, gotcha. paraphilia. Gotcha. Um, so, and, and, and paraphilia is just, is, is just another way of saying fetish, right? It's somebody who's fetishized something that turns them on in their sex life. Right. Um, and really shame again is the bedrock of sex addiction. So we see shame as the bedrock of sex addiction and shame as the bedrock of sex fear. Um, so I found that really interesting. Um, if, especially if you've grown up in a shaming or neglectful or physically abusive environment, it's kind of like a snowball of shame. Um, you think you're wrong, uh, about your feelings of sexual arousal. So you kind of like dissociate from those feelings and then it's hard to get those feelings back online, the, bo- the mind and the body back online. So if you want to hear more about that Sex at Dawn book and Dr. Alex K, listen to uh, the Armchair Expert episode. Um, it's fantastic. Uh, I believe it was the Expert on Experts episode. And there's like three more pages of notes that I can't even get through uh-huh. because it's just so much. Is there anything specific that you, you want to throw out there? Because I mean, we can always keep going. 
Um, well, when it comes to sexual abuse, it increases the nervous system arousal. Um, then you add shame and fear and arousal and shame actually kind of exists in the gut. Um, it's in the enteric system. And so early in life, over time, the body and brain adapts to those feelings of shame, um, and actually the, the gut reaction to shame. Um, and, uh, so it's interesting biologically, the connections that they're making in the gut now, um, Addiction to fantasy is also a form of dissociation. So when we talk about um, fantasy worlds or um, being addicted to sex um, in terms of like other things. It's like role-playing. Yeah, like role-playing. There you and, go. And, but, but, it, but it becoming something where it's literally every part of your life. So, so where you literally are playing out your particular sexual uh, uh, whatever. Right. Impulse like 24 hours a day in yeah. as, as you're in like this fantasy world of, of sex role play. Right. And so what they're, which they're, there's a lot of people that do that. Yeah. And what they're finding is this, this kind of uh, addiction to fantasy is actually a form of dissociation. Um, and dissociation is kind of a natural feature of the human organism. Our brains naturally dissociate when something is incredibly stressful in order to better manage stress. So that frontal cortex kind of goes offline and all of the, um, the, the reptilian brain kind of stays online, right? And it's a protective mechanism. Um, but this dissociation is pathological when it becomes, I have to escape uh, into this dissociation when there's no reason to escape in this into this dissociation. Hmm. Um, and so this addiction to fantasy, this um, addiction to that kind of paraphilic world, um, you know, the brain adapts and then needs more of that and then goes offline more frequently. Um, and so it really does take a long time and a lot of processing through therapy um, to bring back that homeostasis. So if you had a fear of sex, if you were, you know, we, we talked a little about philias, but let, let's get kind of end it with more about the, the phobia and the fear. Uh, you're going to avoid, are you going to avoid it's going to be different for everybody, right? So some people are going to sure. avoid physical contact altogether. Some people are going to avoid any sort of one-on-one -on -one with the opposite sex or with the same sex or whatever it might be. They might uh, avoid it. Would they, would they avoid seeing yeah. sex? Yeah, or, it, would, it might make them deeply uncomfortable. They might, might avoid conversations about sex. They might avoid um, just anything involving sex. And, I, and I've seen this with with uh, friends or, or, or people that I've known in the past who've, who've had – sexual abuse or, or trauma or whatever, you see that uncomfortableness. You see that kind of immediate kind of going within themselves and, and, or avoiding those topics or, or visibly getting uncomfortable or visibly getting kind of anxiety. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, I think it's, it's a really, it's a really, uh, uh, interesting phobia in that it can take on so many different forms and it can take on so many different reactions. People mm -hmm. long-term people deal with it in so many different ways. Um, and so there's so much we could dive into, um, into, into this, into this topic. But, but I think you gave a really great, you know, summary of kind of what this looks like and how it looks and, and, um, you know, and, and I think we'll try to, we'll try to lighten it up a little bit in our, in our horror movie section, because it is a major topic in horror movies. Um, you know, it, going, we'll talk about the slashers and going back to, you know, if you have sex, you're going to get killed, you know, in horror movies, if you like, that's the rule, right. We'll, 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 uh, we'll, we'll dive into that a little bit. And, and, and it's, it's something that, um, you know, sexual overtones and things like that in horror movies have always been 
a, a big part, a big central theme um, that we see all the time. So um, is there anything you want to, you want to kind of end on here before we, we, we finish up? I just want to make note that um, really when we talk about what is healthy and what is not healthy is really about our, our own insight into what we're doing and our own awareness about our body and our mind's reactions to it. Um, It's also about the return of choice and intentionality into our sexual lives. Um, So I really just want to make that clear that that's, that is the definition of healthy that we're using here. It doesn't matter what that is because it's subjective um, to you. As long as it shows itself in healthy ways. But those components, choice, intentionality, insight, and awareness are really key um, in kind of reflecting on to ensure that what we're doing is, is really the healthiest choice for us. Well, with that, thank you. Thank you, uh, Dr. Chris. No, I'm not a doctor. I know. Shh. You should be, though. Not a doctor. Not a doctor. Shh. Um, and so with that, we'll, uh, we're going to dive into uh, we're gonna dive into our horror movies, and we are going to talk about uh, uh, some honorable mentions Yahoo! today. Woohoo! Such a deep topic. Deep stuff, man. Whew. There's a lot there. There's a lot to cover. Heavy. Yeah, there's a lot to cover there. And and uh how do we and, make this light without without uh taking away the validity of their experience? Well, I mean, you know, talking about Felias is always fun. <laughs> Um, but no, it is a lot. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of, but you know, uh, you and I have the same sense of humor where we, you know, every topic, there's no topic off the table when it comes to, to what you can make funny. Right. Like that's a coping mechanism. That's my coping mechanism. I make a joke about it. Um, and that's why, you know, comedians who make fun of the Holocaust or, or make a joke about, you know, race or, or make a joke about, you know, uh, whatever, you know, uh, dead baby jokes were popular. When oh I was, <laughs> man. I remember dead baby jokes. Um, you know, to me, that's, that's just the comedy is an area where there is no boundaries. There is no limits if it's done the right way. Um, and horror movies are able to touch on things that a lot of, well, you know, have you noticed how animation animated stuff, uh, touches on things that regular shows can't do. Well, right. So like Rick and Morty or family guy or, or big mouth or big mouth on, or, on, you know, the issues of uh, sexual puberty, development. Yeah, development. And, yeah, there's you know, no way they could do that. No. In a in an actual like live show. They did it on an animated show so and it was fine. It, so they do it in such a way that it actually feels controlled right. and safe. Right, it breaks it down. And and I think horror movies do that for us. Horror movies pr- provide us with a way to think about sex and death and uh, loss and... Uh, fear, pain, fear, whatever it might be, they give us an outlet to look at that and go, well, shit, it ain't ever going to be that bad, <laughs> you know, or something along those lines. You know, it, it's, it's, it's a, it's a coping mechanism. It's a way for us to, and that's why I love horror too, because it can touch on psychological things that are so deep. Um, or it can just be a freaking slasher where just guys just are just prowling around and, and, and killing teenagers having sex. Right. And we talked about how, how fear and excitement are, uh, our arousal together. of the same, right. you know? Right. And so that's another way to kind of experience that, that arousal, um, and uh, reattribute it to excitement instead of fear. I you know? guarantee there are people who use, 
I, I know there are people who use horror as that outlet, as that outlet to deal with their trauma or to deal with their, their, their things, their fears, kind. their whatever it is. Um, and, and I love that about the genre. I think it's, it's awesome. So, you know, with fear of sex, uh, there was a ton of things I could have chosen for this week. And, and I went through, um, Rosemary's baby would have been a really good one. Um, I think I'm going to save that for the fear of pregnancy though. Ooh, that might be a good one. That's me. Um, yeah, yeah I know. I thought about, that. I actually almost did that one for, uh, what the fear today too. Um, we watched knock, knock, um, which with, was so it's a really fun. really good movie actually I, I really like that movie. I'm pretty sure that's resurg- a Blumhouse that's a Blumhouse have flick. you noticed the resurgence of Keanu like Keanu's all while, of a sudden like everybody was bagging while, on him everyone was like Keanu sucks his acting he's just like Duh. yeah now all of a sudden and he's like, like a guy Keanu 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 <laughs> yeah it's really funny um but I, I've always liked Keanu Reeves. I thought he's always said he was great. Um, and I, have you ever heard him interviewed? He's he's really an interesting dude. Yeah. Um, but Knock Knock was great because it it was like two freaking smoking hot young girls come to his door. His, his his wife and kids had had gone off on a trip, and he was by himself. And he was, you know, he's like going to have this quiet weekend, and he was smoking a little weed and kind of just chilling out. He was going to work on some project and these girls knock on the door it's raining and they're soaking wet and they're all super sexy and he's like super 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 self-controlled and like they come in and they're they start hitting, they start on, hitting him. on him right away um end up you know end up like just one little thing after another right and eventually finally they break down his barriers and and he has sex with them both and then they cause complete madness just completely life. yeah it's kind of a it's kind of like that one with Ellen Page. I don't think you ever saw that one where where she's underage and she traps the guy who she thinks is a pedophile no. and, and tortures him. Well, that guy was an actual pedophile, whereas Keanu Reeves was just like a dad who – and these girls told him they were 20s – in their 20s and they were flight attendants and all this stuff. Well, they were getting And then it turned out they were like 16 years old. They were – yeah, they they were dealing with – one was dealing with a, a dad a dad issue. In a very ineffective way. It does not – Help, That's, obviously, if you have to do it. But wow, yeah, well, thank you. It was a bad idea. Not, yeah, not the best way to cope with your with your trauma. Your trauma and working through your trauma, it, it is not likely to involve um, traumatizing someone else in the process. Right? Yeah. You know, it's exactly. more of an internal process. So it was a really good movie, though, and the, and the way that it plays out is just it's just freaking. They basically end up torturing him and. Ruining his life. See, this would not give me a crazy. fear of sex. It would give me a fear of strangers knocking at my door, which yeah, right? I already have, like, which is why I never answer my door. I don't care if it's raining. <laughs> Bye-bye. <laughs> Fuck you. See you later. Good luck. Sad, isn't it? Um, so that's a really good one. Uh, teeth is another one that I have not seen. I don't want to see. Um, I don't like teeth. It's the vagina. Teeth are gross. It's vagina teeth. I know, but teeth are gross it's in teeth, general. It's teeth in your vagina. And see, there's that fear of the vagina. That would but give more me a fear of the vagina. fear of the vagina teeth. You don't like teeth. No. Yeah, you don't like teeth. So you would definitely not be touching that vagina. Oh. oh. Um, so that's a I, that that one I I really wanted to get to that in the last couple of weeks to watch it because I've I've heard it's really good and it's it's freaking bonkers. But honestly, talking about all of this and researching it and watching these movies is surprisingly draining emotionally. Oh yeah. Well, yeah, and, <laughs> and especially we didn't the, ones, have the Well, especially the ones we chose because we chose we chose some that are a couple that are kind of heavier, yeah. definitely. Um, and species is another one um, on the sci-fi side. I like um, that one. You know that that where she's trying to get the the alien chick that comes down, super smoking hot alien chick starts uh, needs to reproduce. So she's you know she's targeting these men and all this stuff. Um, and that that would have been a really good one as well. Um, but 
Um, and of course, every single freaking slasher, you know, we know from Scream, <laughs> right? From the movie Scream, we know the rules of slashers, right? And we know that sex equals death. Jesus Christ, you don't know the rules? Have an aneurysm, why don't you? There are certain rules that one must abide by in order to successfully survive a horror movie. For instance, number one, you can never have sex. Big no no, big no. Sex equals death, okay? And so now that we know the rules, right? So sex equals death. You know the rules. Um, then so you're all susceptible now. So I decided I was going to put together to, to, to kind of lighten up the mood a bit. My top five, uh, top favorite, five. my top five favorite, favorite sex, sex scene deaths. <laughs> Yeehaw. Um, and some of these are more traditional like slashers and some of them are not so traditional. Um, but I just decided to put together my top five. And so, um, real quick before we get into uh, our honorable mention, um, which we'll, we're just going to kind of breeze over pretty quickly before we get to our feature, but here's my top five sex scene deaths. Number five, Friday the 13th, part two. We've got uh, having sex. We, we all know having sex at, at Camp Crystal Lake is, is a death wish anyway. No, no. Um, so we know that. Uh, but no in, part, sex at camp. in part two, Sandra, uh, Sandra and Jeff sneak off to a cabin um, where they start getting it on. And uh, Jason will not abide by such behavior. Well, they are adolescents. And uh, I don't know. I think they're counselors. So they're probably in their 20s, early, late teens, early mm. 20s. Um, and, uh, and Jason, uh, is not gonna, not gonna let them have that sweet, sweet loving. So we he makes, he makes them into a sweet sex kebab for kebab. two, um, with a spear right through both of them at the That's same time. Fun. So that is a great one. Number, Number five. five. Number four, American Psycho. Oh, uh, one of your favorite, favorite movies. movies. Uh, we got Patrick riding the tricycle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's got prostitute Christy. He's got prostitute prostitute Christy and his friend Elizabeth. And uh and uh, he's, no, that doesn't count. It's a prostitute he paid. It doesn't matter. Nope. S- still a tricycle. Nope. Disqualified. Oh, you're right. According to a, a disqualified. According to how I met your mother, that would not be he would not get the belt nope. for that tricycle. Nope. That is not an organic tricycle. Um, but while he's going down on Elizabeth, he gets a little bitey down below. <laughs> and uh and and then ends up stabbing her. Um, and blood spills out over the sheets. But then Christy, the prostitute, takes off out of the apartment, heads down the stairs, only to have Patrick drop a perfectly timed chainsaw <laughs> right down on top of it. That was pretty rad. That's my number four. Number three, your favorite movie, your not-so-favorite movie, Society. Oh. The oh. Shunting oh. Orgy, which we talked about Society oh. on our Fear oh. of Society, society episode. <laughs> But the shunting orgy, um, <sighs> Bill finds out why his family and friends are acting so weird. Uh, and we see this. Make, we that's, see, see, that's a paraphilia. That's shunting is a paraphilia. You think so? Cause I think, cause I mean, they're just, that's just how those aliens just do their thing, man. Well, maybe. I mean, might've been a paraphilia for the director or the writer. Um, but that had some great scenes in that orgy where people get hands shoved up their asses all the way to their mouths. Um, and up their butt and pulled inside out. The one dude gets pulled all the way inside out, all of his guts. Um, Good stuff. Good stuff. Good stuff in society. One of my favorites. Uh, Number two, Last House on the Left, Wes Craven. Uh, This did not involve actual penetration, but revenge-seeking mom 
takes one of her daughter's killers out by the pond out in the backyard and uh, starts giving him the old, giving him the- uh, The old heave-ho? The, 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 the old one too? Yeah, giving him head down by the pond. I was trying to think of something, some euphemism for 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 sucking dick, but I couldn't think of it. Heave-ho works. Um, and then right as he's, he's, he's hitting his, hitting the, uh, right as he's coming, I can't think of any like euphemisms right now. <laughs> <laughs> she bites his dick off. Aw, that one, that Rain one was, that was, I mean, it was, it was justice, which was great, but it was, it was a very tough scene to watch. I bet. Very brutal. Did your dick run up inside you? A little bit. <laughs> yeah. That's not a, that's not a pleasurable, uh, not a pleasurable scene, but it is a good one. Um, one of my more, one of the ones that stuck out in my brain anyway. Uh, my number one top five sex death scenes is hatchet Two. From the wonderful Adam Green. Uh, and let me just paint the picture here real quick. Oh, man. Dude's banging a girl doggy style okay. in the woods. Got it. And then the last thing you hear is him getting his head chopped off by Victor Crowley. Roll the clip. Ah, oh, you like that? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. Uh, did you miss that? I did. I really did. Oh, how much? How much you missed? The most. <laughs> The most amount. You like this better than ice cream. Yeah. Ah, yeah. Better than chocolate ice cream. Yeah. Fuck chocolate ice cream. Oh, yeah. yeah. You like this better than Jesus. <sighs> that's just that's not appropriate. Oh, you like this better than baby Jesus. Uh, huh, huh, uh, about, a, about an equal amount. Oh, yeah. You love me. What? Do you love me? Yep. Yeah. How much do you love me? <gasps> yep. Uh, what? I can't hear you. What? Oh, tell me you love me. Uh, I love you. Oh, say it. Say you love me. Uh, 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 say it. Tell me you love me. I love you. I love you. I love you. Oh. Yeah, you do. Oh. so good so good so bad (laughs) no you enjoyed this way too much see i'm glad your section is very light my section is is very much like just encouraging folks to pot to process through their trauma and that is what makes our podcast great (laughs) a little bit of heavy a little bit of light Oh, you know, we got to have some balance. That's true. Got to have some balance. You know, nobody wants to just listen to a bunch of depressing shit. That's true. We, we, we got to, we got to balance it with, you with, lighten with, this up you know. with, with our top five sex scene, top five sex scene deaths, deaths kills, death kills. <laughs> All right. So, uh, but the, the, the honorable mention for today, um, is one that, uh, is, is, I think we, we've pretty much had to do. Um, and that is, uh, it follows, from 2014, uh, little synopsis here. After carefree man, uh, excuse me. After carefree teenager Jay sleeps with her new boyfriend Hugh for the first time, she learns that she is the latest recipient of a fatal curse that has passed from victim to victim via sexual intercourse. Death, Jay learns, will creep inexorably toward her as either a friend or a stranger. Jay's friends don't believe her seemingly paranoid ravings until they too begin to see the phantom assassins and band together to help her flee or defend herself. 
Dude, that slow walking death towards you is so fucking unbearably creepy. It's pretty creepy. Like, it's unbearably creepy. I do not like it. I was uncomfortable the whole time. So, I love this movie. I only saw it one time before this week or before this, this episode, and I really liked it when I first saw it. I liked it a little less the second time around. Um, and I'm blaming the horror virgin because I had just listened to their episode on this, on this movie you heard, Jen? and they kind of bashed it pretty hard. And after watching it again, I saw some of the things that they were mentioning. Some of the, like, just kind of, there was a lot of discontinuity and a lot of weird, like just stuff that it could have been done so much better. Like the concept. And I think the reason why it ended up being a movie that everybody really liked is because it was such a unique concept and they really did a great job with, with, kind of just creating something different. Well, they magnified a natural fear that exists with anybody who has sex, which is contracting an, ex, an STD, STD, right? An know? STD. And, and this was, this was, I mean, I think this whole movie is a metaphor for abuse, for sexual abuse. It's a metaphor sure. for, for STDs. It's a metaphor for a lot of different types of sexual um, uh, things that, that make people fearful of sex. Oh. Um, and so I think in that way, it really works, you know, um, because it does, it, but it does something very different with yeah. it, you know, and, and it has a unique look on it. It was interesting. I got kind of bored, but it was interesting. what do you think? what do you think of it? Like as far as, you know, because I know you took a lot of notes while you were watching it. I liked the concept. I thought, like you said, it was really unique. Um, I thought, holy fuck, I would be so traumatized and I don't know that I would ever personally have sex again after that happened because I just, I would not, knowing that's out there, I would not want that to happen again, even if it was like a one in an eight million shot. So I imagine that's just like a little slice of what someone with um, this phobia would experience, except on a, a much more realistic scale. Um well, I had one of your favorite things in the very beginning too, which uh, when they showed the girl, the first girl that ran out of her house dead on the beach. Oh, oh! And her leg was all compounded, over, fractured over, like over. all twisted and weird. I have a fear of compound fractures. Yeah, oh, like, that's like her favorite. It's my mouth sweaty. Like I'm gonna throw up. Chris's. We need to have like a little sound effect. that's like Chris's compound fractures. <laughs> Making my mouth sweaty. Don't. <laughs> Because Chris cannot stand compound fractures. Oh, she fucking I can it. watch surgery shows. I can look at crime scenes and murder scenes. I can do a lot of really horrific things uh, in terms of seeing them visually, but compound fractures will make me vomit and pass out. She is not a fan. I am deathly afraid of receiving one. Oh. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So as this thing goes through, right? So this, 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 this uh, curse is kind of transferred, you know, and they never really got into where this thing comes right. from. What, what is, why? what, why they never got into the, the kind of the meat of it. And that's why I always felt like it'd be really good to have a sequel that would almost kind of go to the root of it a little well, bit. Well, it kind of felt like, like what they were trying to say was that the trauma, the trauma kind of follows you that once you've acquired it, it follows you and you can't pass it on to someone else. There is no passing it on. You know, you have to, it, you have to, you know, slow march right back towards it and kind of deal well, with it. And once somebody, once somebody contracts this thing, right? So, so you have sex with somebody, you pass it on to them, but if they die, then it, comes it goes back, back, to, back you. to you. So, yeah. so, so the way it ended was, was she passed it on to her best friend, the, 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 the boy who had the hots for her the mm -hmm. whole time. And she passed it on to him. He took it onto himself. And then you see him going into like an area with a bunch of prostitutes. Cause think about if you pass it to a prostitute, she's going to pass it to like six or seven people 
really quickly. in that day really quickly. <sighs> so, so that was, you know, kind of the way it ended was, was with this thing, but, um, but it's a, it's, it's a great movie. It has some holes. Yeah. It has some, some kind of, uh, you know, some, some little some things here and there up for sure. Um, but it was not, it's a perfect, perfect one for this topic. It for was sure. not our feature presentation because our feature presentation blew me the fuck away. Yeah, it was great. And and so, away. so we, so it follows was originally going to be our feature presentation. And I thought about it because it's, it's a popular movie. Um, but then after watching it, I was like, you know, it just doesn't have the depth that our feature presentation does, which is Gerald's game. Oh, so much. Um, so let's check out Gerald's game real quick and let's dive into, uh, dive into our feature presentation. And now our feature presentation. This is going to be good for us, Jess. Really good. That's a marriage, isn't it? Working on the difficult things. For better or worse. Let's go in. Get comfy. I bet you think your husband will be back any minute. Try to go for help. There's no one for miles. Gerald? I'm sorry, baby. You don't get to know my name. I don't like this. I'm serious. Stop. I don't like that. Stop it! Are you Is this really what it takes these days? I don't know. We were so wrong. We were happy once. Where were we? Gerald? What? What's happening? Oh. Gerald! Time to wake up, honey. Five hours you've wasted screaming for neighbors that are half a mile away if they're even here yet. How long do you think someone lives without water? That will not work. You can pull till your wrists break. You're not getting out of those cups. Not real. Focus. You've been sleepwalking since you were 12 years old. That's a beautiful dress. He put you in those handcuffs way before Gerald did. You all right? You all right, Mom? You did everything you need to survive from the beginning. You just have to remember. Back off! If you don't wake up, you're gonna die. All right, our feature presentation, 2017's Gerald's Game. So much so better good. than I thought. Synopsis, when a harmless game between a married couple in a remote retreat suddenly becomes a harrowing fight for survival, wife Jessie must confront long-buried demons within her own mind and possibly lurking in the shadows of her seemingly empty house. This is a... Based on the 1992 novel by Stephen King, we do a lot of Stephen King. I've noticed on this show, I've I've really well, there become, is a lot of Stephen. I've always King. been a little Stephen King obsessed, but 
and there is just a lot of it out there, but it seems like they just fit these. And I think that's because he's such a good writer to fear to our fears. Like he so does a much. great job writing to different and different fears too. Yeah. He has so much, his catalog is so vast. And this one was just typing right to the, the fear oh, huge, of sexual trauma huge, and of huge, addressing huge. that sexual trauma. And originally trauma. they, this was, this book was thought to be unfilmable. Because it all takes place crap, in her yeah. mind. And so I think there was some people who had tried to kind of write screenplays for it in the past. There, were, there was a lot of like history there and nobody was able to to kind of adapt this. And so – but of course, my favorite uh, my favorite director right now I think is Mike Flanagan. And God, Flanagan brilliant. took this thing on and just did a really, brilliant. really good job with it. It is brilliant how, how he pictured her kind of traversing um, – the traumas in her life and um, kind of working through them both on her side and kind of from oh, the yeah. husband's perspective. Oh gosh. Yeah. And we'll dig into the meat here in a second, but um, so Flanagan directed this thing. Uh, he is, like I said, probably my favorite director right now with Hill house. We've talked about Hill house before. What a freaking phenomenal job he did with that. Um, Oculus is another good one that he did hush um, before I wake uh, Ouija. These were all, uh, great movies really. And, and some of these were kind of his early work. And then Gerald's game uh, came right before Hill house came out in 2017. And I didn't watch it for the longest time. Cause I was like, I don't know if I'm even going to like, like this movie. It sounds, you know, I, I was familiar with the book. Um, I thought it sounded terrifying. Yeah. And you, and, uh, you get handcuffed to the bed and then your husband dies. And then no Fuck <laughs> that noise. No. Yeah. Chris no. won't even let me real, re- use real handcuffs. Anymore. No. No, just in case. No, not even let me wear like use claustrophobia <laughs> and like fear of my partner dying and then being alone and then ah no yeah no nope nope motherfucking nope and so so we've got we've got this this beginning scene right where they're going to they're going to this retreat everything's going to be they're, they're going, oh, sorry they're going to this this like cabin you know up in the it's uh, a on sex a lake retreat that's supposed to be just really for good the two for of them. them yeah the two of them are going to go and they're going to go kind of re reignite some of their their love life. And, and so they're trying to use a sex as a conduit to repair their relationship, but that's not, a, not a thing. That's not a good thing. It's probably not, a, not a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> well, especially with Gerald's rape fantasy. So Gerald has a rape, Gerald fantasy. Has a rape fantasy and it's and not, she it's not working raped. for Jesse and she, Jesse was raped. <laughs> well, see, he didn't know that. I know. So he didn't know any of that. In fact, we learned that later that, that the, the husband, the husband's kind of a tool. Anyway, like we know he's kind of a douchebag and try to scream, try to call um, for help. Go ahead. And, and Jesse's played by, by Carla, uh, Ju, Ju, I think that's how you pronounce it. Um, who plays, uh, she plays Olivia Crane in, in the haunting of Hill house as well. Mike Flanagan loves to use those same actors over and mm-hmm. over again. And we see later, um, Henry, Henry Thomas from E.T. Mm-hmm. Um, well, the little kid from E.T. who was in Hill House as well as the father. He is the father. Oops, in her, in her flashbacks um, in in this movie as well. So he's Flanagan loves using these same guys over and over again. I found out something interesting about that actress too. What? Because um, I'd always kind of recognized her, and I wasn't sure from where. She was in like every fucking sitcom <laughs> in like the late '80s and early '90s. Huh. She was on. Good morning, Miss Bliss. You know, before Saved by the Bell, um, that was like the Saved by the Bell precursor. Um, and she was on Alf. She was on Wonder Years. She was on Doogie Howser. She was in like every 
and she played like a similar character in a lot of those too, like kind of the, the cute little, you know, high school girl. Um, so I totally recognized her before. And I, I always was like, man, I know this, her from somewhere. And I never noticed any like movies that I knew her from. Um, so we got Gerald and he's got this, this rape fantasy. He, he hooks her up with the, with the handcuffs. He's got Viagra. She's clearly uncomfortable, right? He, yeah, he takes Viagra. Um, she's clearly uneasy. Yeah. She's not, she is not, she's trying, she's not super comfortable with sex in general. You can tell, right. She's especially not comfortable with this kind of dominance that, that he wants to assert. Gerald's trying to get her to be a part of. Right. And he's on top of her and he's giving her all this, like, like, you know, scream, scream. nobody can hear you. You know, you you don't even know who I, you can't use my name. You don't know my name, blah, blah, blah. Like trying to pretend like this is this big rape fantasy. He's he's really trying to kind of engage in, in that role play fetishism. Yeah. Um, Yeah. She is not into it. She's not. And there are, there are plenty of women that are into it. And it's not, she is not one of them. It is definitely not consensual. And so it gets real, super uncomfortable real quick, despite them being husband and wife. And so I want to make that clear. You can be sexually assaulted sure. by your partner despite your relationship. So he he's getting pissed, kind of pissed off, um, going like, what's the matter with you? Are you serious right now? Like, we were just playing. He refuses and, to uncuff her, which is making her feel super unsafe still. Right. And then he then he starts clutching his chest and has a heart attack. This, which, is, this is in the first 10 minutes. Which is devastating to watch because my like my father had a massive heart attack and so just watching this guy die of a heart attack like caused so much anxiety in me and then he falls on top of her and then he falls on top of her and he's just dead on top of her and that is like claustrophobia so this movie did so much for like my (laughs) my emotions (laughs) so she had to push him off she ends up pushing him off on the floor um you know uh, she's still in like this kind of shock for quite a while um, as the sun's kind of going down, dog comes in, right? Doors open, dog comes in, starts feasting starts, on the body, starts, starts eating, pulling chunks of flesh off of his dead body. As we see this kind of time-lapse of her kind of still calling out to him and like, maybe he's still alive and maybe he's not you know, really doing kind of in denial. Yeah. Kind of in denial. And that was something that he mentioned before he passed away is, you know, that you did what you always do. You ran and he points to inside her head. So well, this is what she starts seeing him. Yeah. So he starts coming to her as like a, a, a dissociation. Yes. Like in her, and in her mind, this she, is, he's talking to her and then herself is also talking to her. A stronger part of herself kind of is talking to her as well. And they're talking back and forth to her. And so he, so there, she's processing all this through her, uh, through her, her mind and trying to, to come to grips with like her situation well, and, and then her past. And she's dissociated um, from the, you know, the current situation and her dissociations are kind of now guiding her. We talk about dissociative identity disorder. That's a, that's a very, very severe form of um, tra- trauma generally related to, to sexual trauma. Um, it can be physical as well, but it's a protective mechanism that the brain uses. And we talked about that earlier. Dissociation becomes um, unhealthy when it's escape, when there's no escape. And the husband said, you know, you're always just gone. You're always in your mind. Right. You're always, always not run here. You always run. You always run away. Um, and so yeah. this, she literally cannot. And she runs run. away in here. He points towards and her. He points she, towards her head. Yeah. And says, you always run away in here. Like you close up. You get closed up in your in your mind, um, and that's what he tells her. He, you yeah. know, 
it, it, as this, as this delusional delusional so, Gerald. We'll call him that. Right, the delusional Gerald. Well, and the the delusional Gerald. She's she is not only physically trapped, but now she is mentally trapped with her own thoughts, and she cannot escape her thoughts. She cannot sleep, which is something that um, kind of like the the dream Gerald says that you've been sleepwalking since you were 12 years old. Um, and you know, this other man put you in handcuffs long before Gerald. Right. Did. He put you in those handcuffs way before Gerald did. And we come to find out as she starts to relive, you know, as she's dealing with the physical fact that she's attached to this bed, she can't get away. She can't sleep, which she is another, another thing she used to do. Um, he said, uh, if there's a monster under your bed, it won't bother you if you're asleep. Right. Um, and so she, she just always tries to run, um, whether it be in her mind or physically, that has been her coping skill, um, with all of these intense negative emotions surrounding right. sex. And so she, she, she's dealing with this physical thing. She's dealing with this, this fact that she's trapped and she has nowhere to go. And, and then her brain starts kind of going into these delusions. And then we start going back to things that she had blocked out, yep. things that she had blocked out from her childhood. That which, pain that begs to be noticed which and begs to be heard and acknowledged. She goes back to uh, this eclipse um, from, you know, her childhood. She's 12 years old. Uh, you know, mom and whoever go out on a boat, her and dad stay back. Um, eventually dad kind of, you know, gets her to come sit on his lap uh, masturbates. Dad jerks off during while she's sitting on the la on his lap during the eclipse, um, and then it, you know that part of it is 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 the physical part, and then he mentally abuses her right. through gaslighting her, convincing her that she, you know that she can't tell mom because this is what's going to happen if you tell mom, and so this this kind of this whole shame-based thing this, uh, associated this with this act that her dad did to physical her. and sexual abuse, you know, took place and it was really intense to watch. And you can see why, um, that discomfort, that non-consensuality, that, um, that lack of power that a child feels during even a sexual encounter where she was not touched Mm -hmm. How powerful of an impact right. that can it was have. a sexual experience that that that, that was associated with this thing that was very shameful, um, and this and this thing with her father and this thing with her mother and this kind of this very you know detached kind of relationship that caused divisions and and and, right. and cracks in and her that, in her relationship and that gaslighting that occurred um, by the father that that further kind of breaks up her experience of the pain and doesn't let it be acknowledged. It doesn't feel safe to acknowledge it because it has to stay hidden away. It has to be locked down or else more pain will happen. Um, and now she's trapped and she has to acknowledge her pain and her begging, her trauma is begging to be heard and seen and acknowledged, but with a, with an understanding, loving kindness. Um, and that's end up, that ends up, happening towards the end when her stronger self comes to her in the visions as her younger self. Right. And, and her really younger self is, is telling her that she's strong enough to deal yep. with this. She can, she and can get through that this. And that's that loving kindness, that experience of let me process this and be with this child who was severely shamefully injured um, and experienced this trauma and let me let her know that she is safe now right. and that she is no longer hurting and that she is 
you know, she is free of responsibility um, from this experience. And that is so powerful. I mean, there are, there are therapeutic mechanisms called the third, the, uh, the third chair, or the third person um, activities where right. we pretend, where you, you pretend somebody is sitting in that chair. And, and you're that, telling that them. was that, but in film, and I'm just going, yeah. what a beautiful depiction right. of Super powerful having to sit through their trauma and, and how they processed it and processing it with that loving kindness. Um, because she really thought she was at the end of her life. Right. She thought she was going to die there. And so that fi- like final, like end of life idea as she's sitting there, you know, she's like, no, this, this girl does not deserve to feel that shame. You know, let me make sure that she knows this is not something you need to feel ashamed right. of. And then, so then, then we have, so what do you think of this moonlight man that comes in? So that's where, that's kind of the horror you know, this whole thing is very horrific psychologically, but then we have this horror element of this super tall, gaunt, horrific looking man, this moonlight man that comes and just stands at the edge of her bed, right? What is that to you? Is, is there a symbolic thing with him? Is there something, is, is it just a something that Stephen King decided to, to shove in there to make it scarier? There's just so much symbolism in this to unpack. And I think personally that that moonlight man, um, really is a representative of our, of our traumas, um, and the acknowledging of them and how scary they are. But he was real. I know, but them lurking in the shadows and et cetera, et cetera. I think it's, it's a larger metaphor for those traumas, um, and how they beg to be seen and they beg to be, to be, um, acknowledged, um, and heard, and they keep souvenirs. I love that it kept souvenirs. I thought yeah, his bag really... of his bag of of trinkets. I thought that was so his interesting. Bag of bones, which, yeah. which is a, a throwback to another Stephen King because book. Because that too. that too um, is symbolic of the things that our trauma keeps um, when we stuff it way down and we don't acknowledge it. You know, parts of us become lost in it. Um, and so when she finally acknowledges her trauma, when she finally, um, you know, releases her responsibility and her shameful feelings regarding it, um, and then feels more in control, um, she approaches that guy at the stands and then says, at the end in, in the courtroom, yeah, in the, the courtroom the and says, um, the monster lurking in the shadows is always so much smaller than she remembers. So he's symbolic of that, of that monster, yeah. of that thing that's, that's that of the mental so monsters of the, of the, to unpack that we're so afraid to acknowledge, to acknowledge. Is there, cause she had, cause she had put everything, Way all of her down. trauma down instead, of, instead of dealing down. with it, she had shoved it all down. And so, so this monster, this guy represents all of those traumatic things that we don't want to deal with all of our monsters yeah, in the, the closet, shadows, all of everything our, that stays that we keep hidden right? because we're we are so terrified of what it might be like to acknowledge if they're really there. She closes her eyes like a million times and tries to pretend it's right, not pretend there. It's not because there. once she acknowledges that it's there, then that means that it can have control over her. And when she was feeling incredibly powerless, that was not something that she could handle at that time. And I know your favorite part is where she actually escapes from the bed, where she degloves herself. <gasps> Which honestly is probably Ooh, one of the gr- so bad. it's one of the most gruesome. Honestly, it's probably oh. one of the most gruesome scenes I've seen in a, in, in a horror movie. That, oh I mean, gosh. because it because it is so real realistic. So I think bad. they did. You know, there's very little gore in this. There's very little kind of jump Which scares. Is why there's it's very so little scary. Amazing. But that part where love- she's where she's where she's you know degloving herself on the on the uh, uh, nightstand pulling her her hand through the the handcuff and just taking off all of her skin is 
just a gruesome, gruesome, gruesome scene. Well, I think that um, also too is symbolism. It's symbolism for the pain, the excruciating pain that it does take to to, to deal break with break yourself. Oh, yeah, all of, all of the ways that from she's that she's suffering through that that experience. It's all you know it's got that symbolic so kind of, much symbol like it was just ripe with symbolism yeah like, i it loved great. it uh such a good movie it really is a great such movie a good, and, and, i can't wait for you to read it yeah the second time around uh watching it i i i liked it even more i think it's just it was so well done and and i, I did read it i read it when i was younger um and i remember thinking uh when they were making the movie i was i was like there's no way there's no it's way brilliant. this is going to be. It's perfect. This is going to be good, and 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 that's where I think Flanagan has just done a really, really great job of making things his own, but so true to to to, to, the, to, the, to the work that that he's trying to 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 um, adapt. You so know, so true. Um, fun fact: Moonlight Man is Lurch from uh, Adam's Family. Ha! Huh. Yeah, yeah. Carl, Carl Struken, Strukenian. I think it's interesting that that killer, you know, just chose to like watch over and not take any action. Right. You know, yeah. I, I think that's symbolic too. Yeah. Like I said, I could unpack this movie for hours. There, and there's so, there's so many things. Deep. And what's fun about this movie too is, is, uh, there are, there's just so many, there's so many little things that he puts so in many. these movies that are references the dog? to other Stephen King. What's the King. dog about? Why is the dog eating everything? What's up with that? Yeah, but he's he's referencing a lot of other Stephen King stuff. Right. Like at one point they call the dog Cujo. Right. Um, and there's references to the Dark Tower. Um, Dolores Claiborne actually is a parallel to this book because um, Dolores Claiborne takes place during a during that eclipse. So the book Dolores Claiborne and there's a scene where she says she she describes a dream where a woman's standing over a well. Um, that's from Dolores Claiborne. Hmm. Um, and uh, lots of stuff like that. Bag of bones. They talk about his bag of bones. That's you know, really that's neat. that's that's from you know that's a reference to bag of bones. There's a lot of, of other kind of Stephen King little things that Branch pop offs. up through there. Um, the book that's thrown. I thought this was kind of fun. Um, in his um, Flanagan does a uh, directed a movie called Hush um, that starred his wife Katie Siegel mm-hmm. um, as a as a a deaf woman who. Uh, she was an author and lived by herself. And then it's a home invasion movie mm-hmm. where people come in and, or break in and, you know, try to kill her or whatever. Um, and she's during that, that movie in the beginning, she's writing her book and it's called midnight mass. And that's the book that she throws at the dog. Huh. Um, in, in the movie. I love that. Which so I thought was kind of cool. I love like, those little fun facts. Eggs. Um, but excellent movie. Excellent. I think that's, I definitely think it's, it was the best choice for, for this. I had the wrong idea about thing. it. Uh, definitely check it out. Yeah. I mean, it's, and, and for, for really, and really what I think, especially with us dealing with the psychological side of things and with the therapeutic, uh, side of things, this movie really brings to light kind of those deep, dark issues that tend to lead to sexual dysfunction, fear of sex, those phobias, those, those things and, and shows a strong character, a strong female character overcoming those things in front of your eyes through the whole, throughout the whole movie, a character's process of overcoming too, which is super badass. I mean, it's it's so cool. And it not at all um, cheesy, which it could easily have become cheesy, you know, like that. Oh, she overcame. And instead it was just like, 
fuck. Just real. Just like, very so real. So real um, in her experience. Yeah, man. I, I really, really, really appreciate that movie. And I I think for for like I said, for our podcast and for what it is that we're trying to kind of do with this was movies that rep really represent it's what a, these phobias are yeah. about. And sometimes we nail it. Sometimes we don't. Sometimes it's Sometimes just, it's a bit of a stretch. It's a bit of a stretch, you know, but this one really does get to the heart of it and, and has a lot of kind of therapeutic value. It does. Um, you know, this would be a movie that you might even show, you would show clips to, to, you know, to illustrate points about dealing with, you know, trauma well, and yeah, things like when, that. When I do cinema therapy, um, I would definitely show, you know, a movie like this and talk about, um, her experience of processing her trauma and her experience of why she might use dissociation as a coping tool. You know, why might she do that? Why um, does it feel like she married into the only relationship pattern that she she knew? You know, what's what does that look like when we take back um, control and intentionality uh, in our relationship decision making? Things like that. There's a lot of conversation that can be had um, that is therapeutic surrounding the themes in this movie for sure. Well, go watch Gerald's Game. It's on Netflix, Netflix. right now. Um, it was a Netflix original. Actually, yeah, really well done. Um, freaking great movie, and uh, like I said, guys, sorry it took us so long to uh, get get an episode out to you. We are. I'm gonna try to commit to 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 getting back on the horse here and and getting stuff going. You know, we we've got more free time now. Baseball's over. We're you know we should be should be able to crank some uh, some episodes out here. Let's do it a little more. We only did one episode in the month of June. I know that's crazy. Um. But uh, yeah, guys, we appreciate you guys listening. Um, again, please give us a rating and review on your podcast apps. Um, and uh, send us some messages on social media. Um, we will uh, be back next time. I don't know what we're going to do. You know, I was thinking we need to do Fear Sharks. That might be fun. Let's make that decision right now. Fear Sharks. Because I want to fucking watch Jaws. Let's do it's it. It's one of my favorite all-time movies. And Let's I only, watch them all. I think I only watched it like two weeks ago, but <laughs> I want to watch it again. I love it. And it's summertime. And my hometown is riddled with sharks right now. And so, we need a little bit of a pick me up because this one was really heavy. Yeah. Let's go, let's go, uh, let's go do some uh uh, uh dancing hunting. with bow legged women. What's he say? Shark week. Go do some uh don't go swimming with bow legged women. That's what it is. Shark week is my favorite roller derby player's name, by the way. Ooh, I like it. All right, guys. Uh thanks for listening. And uh we're gonna go see midsummer right now. Yay. Yay. Until next time. Stay afraid. Stay very afraid.